exploring what can be done to help with pain and health challenges. This is the Life Shouldn't Hurt with Grand Fedoric from Leading Edge Physiotherapy on 630 Ched. shouldn't hurt. I'm your host, Grant Fedoric. Thank you for sharing your time with me as I have the privilege of listening to and sharing some amazing, very real life stories about lifestyle, health, and well-being with all of you amazing people. And lifestyle, health, and well-being seems to be uh, the topic of today. More than ever, food is something that's on the top of everybody's minds. And we are joined today by Christine Kowalchuk. Nice to have you today, Christine. Thanks, Greg. Good to be here. And she's vice chair of an organization called Food for Thought. What is Food for Thought? Christine, tell us all about it. All right. Well, we started way back in 2002. Um, my parents started this program um, basically um, to help to provide food to school children who don't have a lunch, haven't had breakfast, or who are hungry in, in any way, shape, or form. Um, they started off... Um, helping out one school in Edmonton, Sifton Elementary School. And I still remember this story of um, my parents reading the Edmonton Journal that morning and, and seeing an article by Paula Simons in which um, Paula Simons noted that, um, you know, there is hunger in Edmonton schools and my parents couldn't believe it. We were out um, in rural Strathcona County and in the little country school where my sister and I went, um, there was no hunger this way. So this was surprising for my parents. So they, they met with the principal and, you know, just wanted to find out a little, a little bit more about this need um, and she helped to explain to them that you know hunger was increasing um, in Edmonton schools and um, that there were sort of pockets of poverty across the city regardless of the neighborhood and um, so my parents just sort of stepped in and got some of their friends involved and they sponsored one school that was Sifton Elementary School um, and then since then um, my my dad passed away and and one of his wishes was um, for our family to keep food for thought going so my sister and I um, my sister was already part of the board. I joined the board, um, and now we're at 21 schools and serving 100, uh, sorry, 850 um, students a day. Um, the need has just continued to skyrocket across our city. We need to dig into that, but I also would love to hear a little bit about your parents. What an amazing story! Just something they read. Yeah. Now, what did your parents do? What did your mom and dad do for a living? Uh, my dad uh, sold life insurance and my mom worked at home and um, I guess, I don't know, I mean they both came from farming backgrounds. My mom was a gardener, is a gardener and uh, you know it just sort of seemed to them like it was just simply wrong that, that kids wouldn't have food to eat. That's amazing, and they just read it in the newspaper, and that's what got them to make outreach. That yep. first phone call came yep. because of an yep. article they in the newspaper. In. Isn't that amazing? And then from there, it just started with the one school. Now, mm. who grew it beyond the one school? Was it them? Uh, Was that your mom and dad? driving the organization they grew what? it a little bit but yeah. really it was when uh, my sister joined the board um, it grew a little bit more and then um, after my dad passed away uh, you know how siblings can be my sister and I can fight you know sure. like you know, like, you know, the best warriors. And then we can also work really well together. And we just sat down and, um, and figured out um, a new way of, of sort of uh, 
modeling or a new model for our food for thought, a new way of organizing what we did to really simplify it um, so that we could um, actually expand because we're all volunteers and right now the board is just my mom, my sister and me and oh. we're doing all of this work as volunteers and so we really needed a, a streamlined model and we came up with that and my sister has a business background, a marketing background and I'm um, have a uh, PhD in English and am you know good in writing and things and so I guess just the two of us working together we were able to come up with this model that we share openly on our website and encourage other communities to follow an entire volunteer driven organization yeah yeah uh, we're talking to Christine Kuelchuk co-chair of Food for Thought now let's get into what happens how do you where does the food come from because I, I I'm going to speak from an area of not knowing. I, I, food bank is looking for food, and it serves a certain population. This is in schools. These are kids who don't have lunch. That's who, right. Am I am I right? Yep. Okay. So, how, what, is there a call out for food to people to get to know your organization? Where does the where do, where do you get the food from? Um, so we fundraise first of all, okay. and um, the part of this model that I, I was mentioning is um, that we aim to have every school sponsored. So we have um, a sponsor assigned to every school. And uh, the sponsor, um, you know, provides us with $5,000 at the beginning of the school year. Um, and we know that on average, that's what it costs to feed um, the, the kids who are hungry otherwise um, in a school. Um, you know, some schools have higher needs, some have lower needs, but overall, that's about the average. Uh, and so we take that money and we... Uh, send out to the school a grocery order form and the schools fill out what they need and um, we try really hard at Food for Thought to offer food that's only um, nutritious food, whole and healthy and low waste food and so that's what's on this grocery order form. It's really ingredients. It's not a hot lunch. It's ingredients so that um, a volunteer can make, you know, cut up fruit and vegetables and hummus or a sandwich or in, you know, some of the schools they're lucky to have kitchens so they, they make soup or, um, you know, stews or just really basic meals meals um, and so the, the schools check off what they need we send those lists to the Italian Center um, and those sponsors um, that are helping to support these schools are, are paying for that food to go to the schools the Italian Center delivers the food once every two weeks um, and it we're set Wow and shout out to the Italian Center right here for being a community organization or our community business, making a difference right here in our community, which is what you are doing. So I can imagine that takes a lot of the logistics off of your plate because I couldn't even imagine how you get the food to that many students in that many schools. But you've kind of helped me with that. Because yep. that was going to be one of my questions. How do you get it there? Yep. Now, yep. beyond that, the so an organization or a company would sponsor the school. You've got the money. You get the, the list and the, and the food gets to the school. How do they have that? identify the kids who need the food or are in need of help. Yeah, well, teachers and principals are really good at that. They they can tell if a student is maybe kind of, um, you know, not quite their best because they haven't had breakfast that morning. They might just ask the student. They can see who doesn't bring lunch. Um, in some cases, we offer snacks, um, you know, that they, they will bring into an entire classroom or, or whatever. Um, basically, we, we can't afford to... Um, cover food for everyone in the school so we ask the teachers and, and principals to identify the students in need but I mean our, our criteria for those students is like basically anyone who they think might be hungry or who says I'm hungry and that's nice. it they're part of the program yeah. so um, so yeah it tends to be I don't know maybe between 15 and 30 students on average in every school that's a big number 
Mm. Were you surprised that that number existed or you were you grew up around it so you kind of were aware? Um well, honestly, when I went to school, I don't think anybody was hungry, but um, yeah. with this, yeah, I think it is surprising and, um, and it's only getting worse. And, and this is something that we are very aware of is the increasing numbers from one year to the next. And we have schools, um, reaching out to us all the time. Right now, we're only working with the Edmonton Public School, um, program. And, uh, even within Edmonton Public Schools, we're getting, um, requests all the time to, to join the program. And we just can't take on more schools. And, uh, so we, we have um, outlined our model on our website, and I am happy to talk with any school um, and answer their questions if they want to start up a program like ours, and, and they can easily follow our model. Uh, but what we don't want to have happen is to become kind of a crutch. We don't want this to be the norm. We want to try to work and save some of our energy um, beyond you know, meeting the immediate needs of students um, for advocacy as well, because we see some of the underlying problems that are causing this increasing food insecurity. And we feel it's our responsibility to, um, you know, help in, in that way as well. And what does that look like right now, that, that advocacy, I'm sure, is part of it, but so you can raise awareness, but there has to be more boots on the ground there too. Yeah, there, there definitely does. This is a community issue, and, yeah. um, and that's something that, um, you know, we try to keep top of mind and, you know, that's something that my dad actually always was aware of. He said, you know, work with community partners, make sure that this is something that is being taken on by the community. And that was, there's so much wisdom in that because no single organization can feed everyone. And um, if you try to do that, then you're only enabling continued food insecurity. Food insecurity can only be um, resolved by communities. So, um the, the reason for food insecurity, in our view, is the industrial food system, you know, that we are all living within right now. It's the, the dominant food system. And really, um, you know, it's it's a food system that is largely um, corporately controlled. Um, there, It's reliant on a lot of international trade and things. Um, it's, you know, pesticide dependent. Um, and really what this does is it undermines local food security. It undermines the local food system. Um, and indigenous food sovereignty as well. Um, when I was growing up, like I said, my mom was a gardener and um, pretty much, you know, all the moms of all my friends were gardeners. And, and I grew up in a rural area, so there were a lot of farms around too, but we could get a lot of our food um, really locally. And um, that's just not the case anymore. I want to talk about those some of those solutions that you see going forward. And I think you're touching on something that is very, very relevant today. It's been relevant for a long time, but more more, even more in the news and, and I think so important for us. Let's get back to that. We're talking with Christine Kowalczyk from Food for Thought and her maybe solutions for some of these problems going forward. And we'll be right back on the Chorus Radio Network. Exploring what can be done to help with pain and health challenges. This is Life Shouldn't Hurt with Grand Fedoric from Leading Edge Physiotherapy on 630 Ched back with Life Shouldn't Hurt. I'm Grant Fedorik, your friendly neighborhood physiotherapist from Leading Edge Physiotherapy, and I'm I'm just itching to get right back into the topic. We're talking with Christine Kowalczyk, Food for Thought, co-chair of Food for Thought, and right before the break, we were talking about solutions. Uh, you use the word food insecurity, food poverty. There's so many different ways to describe it. At the end of the day, there are kids, there are also adults, but there are kids who go to school and there are going to be minds that go, no, that doesn't happen. Because there are some people who, including me, I grew up in Shred Park, like you did outside. 
um, where I wouldn't have even had a clue that that existed uh, mm-hmm. as I grew up. I never saw it. It wasn't around me. Um, it, it is happening. There are kids going to school who have aren't eating, aren't aren't being are, are malnourished, mm-hmm. and the work you're doing is making a huge difference. But you have other solutions, and they're not just. And what you were saying is very important. It's not just in providing the food. Yeah. It's in. It's got to be in changing the system. That's right. That's exactly right. So we we see the importance of doing both at the same time. Obviously, we have to meet the immediate needs of kids and yeah. who are hungry. And and you're right. It is. Um. It is everywhere. Even. Um, for those of us who maybe didn't grow up seeing it, um, mm-hmm. right now, well, in, in 2021, there was a report that came out that found that Alberta has the highest food insecurity of all of Canada. Um, approximately one in five people is food insecure. So that's one in five children. And in fact, the numbers tend to be even higher for children. Um, so it is really everywhere and it is only increasing. So, um, yeah, we can't in good faith just keep feeding more and more kids without looking at, you know, what is causing this problem in the first place. And I was talking before the break about gardens and, you know, one thing that, that we kept in mind in, in figuring out what we need to do in terms of advocacy is thinking back to Victory Gardens, say, after, um, the world wars and, and how, you know, that was a way of, of really intentionally increasing local, um, food security and creating a strong f- local food system is really promoting gardening. And, and, um, so that is part of what we're trying to do is, uh, is, uh, encourage schools to put in school gardens. And, um, I love that idea mm. because if you actually think about, you were talking before the break, commercialism around food and yep. transportation of food and cost, uh, where it's coming from. Uh, corporate, corporate food. I mean, at the end of the day, everybody, that's all you're seeing these days is, you know, the influence of these mega corporations who yep. are controlling our food source. That's right. But the beauty of it is we've given them that control. Mm. And the other, the beauty of what you're saying is, and I, it just light bulb moment for me. Yeah. We actually have the power to take that we back. We can just take it back. And it's so easy to do that. And so, um, besides offering, um, ingredients to the schools, we also offer them seeds and soil and garden tools and our help, you know, to, to put in a garden. And we've had two schools so far, um, take us up on that offer, um, Ormsby School and McKee School, uh, who've put in school gardens and, um, they've gone well the gardens grew the kids were so excited to see us out there digging in the soil and it's so good for them and you know so you might think and this was you know our question in the first place who's going to look after this garden over the summer when the kids are on vacation and when gardens tend to grow and be most prolific and um in both of those schools there are um daycares or other you know services that are operating in the summer and they look after the school in the summer so it really did work out but in other schools too we think what would be ideal and i am so hopeful that maybe one of um, you know, a, a listener who's near one of their, our food for thought schools thinks, Hey, I can help out with this. Um, we're looking for someone, um, who lives near a food for thought school who maybe doesn't have access to land currently and would love to garden. Maybe their name is on a waiting list for a community garden, um, because they live in an apartment. Um, and here is all of this land around schools that is unused in the summertime. So if this person who has knowledge to share, um, is, is willing to step forward and take on a garden, um, then they get to benefit benefit from the produce um, all summer long just in exchange for you know helping to teach some of what they know and helping to share some of the the harvest in fall you know get the kids involved and this way everybody's benefiting from that community knowledge it's sort of you know win-win all around we're talking with christine kowalchuk 
co-chair of Food for Thought, and she's got this. My my mind is going in every direction. This is what happens when somebody brings me a good idea where you know it can impact a community and make a huge difference. And she's talking about community gardens, but at schools. And I can't tell you how many things are just bing, bing, bing in my mind. Like responsibility. Kids take ownership of something. Kids are involved in growing something, learning about earth and the soil and, and how the earth can give back. I tell you, this idea is it's brilliant and and simple at the same time which mm. is what makes it so beautiful that that's what we're aiming for is simplicity because that's what enables a model to be replicated from one community to another and for it to work and you know even composting if that's mm-hmm. part of the solution then you're also getting rid of food waste in the schools right. too and that's also helping to improve what are often depleted soils in schoolyards so all of this is is better it's better for pollinators in our city and everything so this is uh, Christine Kowalczyk, Food for Thought. You guys all need, if you're out there and you're listening to this show and you're a teacher, a principal, or if you're somebody who loves to garden and you're in a community uh, with a school and you look up Food for Thought, uh, you can get to their website. Christine, this is your opportunity. How do people get in touch with you? Um, yeah, they can reach out to us through our, our website, foodforthoughtedmonton.com, and um, there's a contact um, button at the top of the page, and they can just you know hit that button and the email will come to me. They're also looking for, and this is a, don't be shy, they're also looking for people who are willing to sponsor schools as well, because there's still the immediate needs, and that's something I say all the time. We need to be going in two directions with most of these things. We need to solve it in the long run, but it doesn't mean you put all your resources into these long strategies. You still need to deal with the problem mm-hmm. that's in front of you, yeah. and in this case, it's kids going to school without food yeah and how do they perform well in school how do they learn when they're struggling just with with uh tummies that need to be fed mm-hmm. and it's so important uh, that the work that you're doing and and if there's somebody out there that's willing to step up and sponsor a school I, we couldn't encourage this more i'm somebody who puts our money where our mouth is uh, i think that that uh it's a very very important thing um christine what else have you got? I, I, I bet you we needed two more shows. <laughs> well, I do just want to say that we're so grateful for our sponsors that we have. And, and some of our sponsors have been with us for years, too. And, um, you know, there's a real opportunity for the sponsor to become, um, you know, like to, to develop a relationship with the school in that community mm-hmm. and, and really get to know the principals and, and the teachers. And, and in some cases, um, sponsors have even met other needs, you know, like it, it's just, this is how we solve these types of problems. Um, but you know, there are other ways in which we're advocating too, to go back to the long-term, um, problem solving here. And, um, one thing that we are doing, um, as well is really encouraging, um, that new schools be built with, um, kitchens, for example, kitchens right. and lunchrooms. It, it seems pretty basic and at one point i think all schools were built with kitchens and lunchrooms but um, it's very hard to feed kids in a school if there isn't a kitchen or a lunchroom and sometimes you know we hear stories of principals having to sort of prepare sandwiches you know off the side of like a a table in the staff room or something it's just it's not great and so um, it makes sense to have to have those. That's another area where we're advocating. Um, and then we are also um, advocating for a citywide cosmetic pesticide ban. And that seems maybe a little bit um, tangential to what we're talking about here. But obviously, if you've got kids growing food and eating the food that comes out of gardens and we're trying to really strengthen our local food system, the last thing we want to be doing is, is spraying these 
areas with pesticides as well. And, um, you know, that prevents gardens from growing well because it kills the pollinators. Um, and it's also dangerous for the kids. So that's another thing that we advocate for. And we really encourage everyone to reach out to their city councilor and advocate um, for the health of children and gardens and nature um, and really support a, a cosmetic pesticide ban. Christine Kowalczuk, thank you so much for your time and for sharing the good work that you're doing. Uh, those points, they they landed exactly where they should. I agree Excellent. with you totally. Uh, Christine Kowalczuk from Food for Thought joined us today, making a difference in our community. That's what this is all about. Until next week, everybody, I'm Grant Fedorik. This is Life Shouldn't Hurt right here on the Chorus Radio Network.